The first time I stepped into Minnesota was the summer of 1990. I had been hired to be a lifeguard at a Bible camp in Alexandria, and leaving my home state of Texas, uh, making it up in the summer to Minnesota was pretty amazing. The weather was phenomenal. It never really got too hot. It was nice and cool in the evenings. The trees were green. We had lots of rain. The lake was cool. And I met a lot of friends. Met friends that had went to colleges with nicknames like Oli's and Gusty's and Johnny's and Tommy's and Augie's. Great nicknames up here, these schools. And we got to be friends. And then we thought, well, why don't we come up after Christmas and hang out with some of our friends because they had this thing in their school called J-Terms. We didn't have it. We were off, you know, early December or mid-December through February. So we thought, why don't we come out and hang out with our friends? We didn't realize that in after Christmas, that 1,300-mile drive, things got a little cooler as you went north. I remember when we stopped in Iowa and I got out and for the first time I grabbed a bunch of snow and I was trying to make a snowball and it wouldn't stick. The snow wouldn't stick. I'm like, what's wrong? And my friends are like, hey, it's too cold for snow to stick. I'm like, how could it be too cold for snow to stick? Well, we ended up hanging out with some of our friends at different schools and then we went to this place called Moorhead, Minnesota. Yeah. I found out is the coldest place on the planet. <laughs> and we were there with some, some cobbers. I miss them. Sorry, cobbers. We were hanging out with some cobbers. And they were in school during the day. And my friend and I, Nick, we were just in their apartment trying to figure out what to do and stay busy. And we thought, why don't we walk to the local video store? You know, you used to have those video stores where you go in and you rent the video, VHS tape. You put it and you put it in the VHS player and uh, you watch it. We thought, why don't we walk and, uh, and just grab that and be back and watch some movies while we wait for our friends to come home. What we didn't realize, that 30 below was crazy. We didn't know what below meant, much less 30 below. We had absolutely no concept of what that would feel like. We saw things swirling and the wind was blowing and the snow. We thought, oh, that's fine. We're from Texas. We're strong. Well... My friend and I, we were not prepared. See, I had come up north with a pair of kind of thin sweatpants. I had a jacket, not a coat. I know the difference now. <laughs> with a hood um, and no gloves. My friend had a jacket, no hood, and gloves and jeans. So we made it to the video store, and we stayed in there for two hours. And we're like, you know, we started having some moments, like, have we lived a full life? Because we knew we had to go back. Was anybody going to come find us when they found our frozen bodies? Did we do enough in our life that our eulogies would be worth anybody saying anything about us? But we made it back. And as we got back, I remember those two movies to this day. We had Born on Fourth of July and Dead Poets Society. We didn't watch either one of them because my friend went to the tub and just went with, with a, in a tub with hot water. He was calling his mom, who's a nurse, and asking her the question, why are his ears beat red? And I found every blanket I could find in that apartment, and I just, I just went underneath it and hid. I was not prepared. My friend and I, we were not prepared. Now I'm prepared now. I'm prepared now. And we do that a lot. 
We ask the question, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the next thing? Are you prepared for a test? Are you prepared for any kind of activity? Are you prepared for college? Do we have any St. Olaf grads in here? Couple? Yeah. Just want you to know, my son's St. Olaf soccer team made the final four. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> First time in school history. Guess what they're going to be doing now? Preparing and preparing and preparing. It's going to cut into our Thanksgiving time with our son because they're going to be out preparing for the final four. We prepare for marriage. We do prepare and enrich for folks. We prepare for a trip. We plan. We pack. Are you prepared? In other words, we usually say, are you prepared? Have you done the necessary things to make you ready for the next thing that you're about to do? And usually, it's being prepared for things that might not go so well. Anybody remember the phrase, well, make sure you have clean underwear on in case you get into an accident. <laughs> what? I'm pretty sure if you get into an accident, you're not going to have clean underwear. <laughs> so why even put it on? Just let it go. But what if there's something else you should be prepared for? What if God is calling you to not just prepare, be prepared for something bad to happen? What if God is calling you to be prepared for joy? Prepared for joy. Over the last several weeks, we've engaged our Stewardship Appeal worship series around the fruit of the Spirit. Call it Spirit Life. How living uh, spirit life can call us in to bear more fruit, more fruit of the Spirit, and how that fruit of the Spirit leads us into more generosity. Paul writes to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And we explored how spirit life was lived in various people throughout Scripture. Esther, living the spirit of self-control, gives her the focus, the preparation to be ready for generosity. Ruth, living the spirit life of patience, was purposeful in her generosity. Zacchaeus, seen by Jesus, restored from destruction, given the spirit life of peace, calling us to be generous for those who are seeking peace too. Tabitha, living spirit life, being kind to one another by stepping to the gap of broken community leading to generous resurrection. And then last week, Philemon, called into the spirit life of love, generously bringing freedom to a guy named Onesimus, freedom to the oppressed. And today, our focus is on the spirit life of joy. And the lens is through the life of a woman named Miriam, she was a middle child. She was stuck between the oldest and more famous Aaron and then the younger and the way more famous Moses. Now, you might know Moses' story, right? But it's also Miriam's story. There is a decree that came out from Pharaoh that they were going to kill all the young boys, and Miriam's mom has a baby boy named Moses. So in order to save that baby boy's life, Miriam's mom puts Moses in a basket and sends it down the river hoping that someone would find this baby and take care of it. And it's Miriam who watches it. 
It's Miriam who watches that basket float down that river. And when Pharaoh's daughter happens upon that basket in the river, it's Miriam who goes to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, I know you have this new baby, but guess what? I know somebody that can be its nanny. And Miriam ends up hooking up Moses and her mom back together. Moses' mom gets to raise Moses. Miriam, a very clever sister. Well, what you, also, what you may not know is that Miriam's name also can mean one who sees water, to see water. And we will certainly read that in the baby Moses' story as she watches that basket float down the water. But in Jewish tradition, he also has Miriam as the one who can see water, who can find the water when the Israelites are out in the wilderness for 40 years. If you need water, you go to Miriam. The Jewish tradition calls this gift Miriam's well. And after Miriam dies, the book of Numbers tells us that the water ran out. They had a hard time finding water. And all that Jewish tradition is fascinating. But what really catches my imagination is what Miriam does in between the baby Moses years and the Miriam seeing water out in the wilderness years. Between those two stories is a story of the Israelites. Israelites are captive as slaves in Egypt, and Pharaoh finally relents and lets the Israelites leave. So the Israelites are packing up their stuff, they leave, and they get, con they get confronted with a body of water that we call the Red Sea. There's no way across. Moses has a, does a miracle, performs a miracle, parts the Red Sea. The Israelites cross onto the other, other side of the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is coming after them because Pharaoh's changed his mind and wants to take all the Israel Israelites back into captivity. But when they try to cross the Red Sea, the waters close in and destroys that whole army. Now, right after that, right after the Israelites are free on the other side, on the other bank, there are two songs. Moses leads one song, thanking God for God's greatness and salvation. But the other song is offered by Moses' big sister Miriam, the water seer. Miriam says, then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider, he is thrown into the sea. Now the surprising thing for me, what captures my imagination, is not that a group of people would be so filled with joy after they were saved and found safety that they would break into song, but it's Miriam. It's Miriam and these women who break out a tambourine. Now remember, just days before they were slaves in Egypt, just days before, and after being told that they could leave, they were also told that they had to pack really, really fast. This is what it says in Exodus. They baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. It was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. They couldn't even wait for their bread to rise. They had to leave that fast. They didn't even have enough time to bring provisions. They had to escape with whatever they could put in their bags, right? 
Well, if I'm leaving captivity and I know that my life may be danger out, in danger out in the wilderness, you know what I'm going to bring? I'm going to try to bring a spear or arrows. I'm going to try to bring any kind of weapon I can use to either protect my family or maybe to hunt for food. But Miriam, in all this rush, packs a tambourine? A tambourine? Who packs a tambourine? Who does? Well, someone who is preparing for joy. Because the tambourine is a joyful instrument. You play a tambourine at joyful times. Miriam, while preparing for all kinds of things to happen on their journey, Miriam was also prepared for joy. Prepared for joy. This is a far cry from making sure that you're wearing clean underwear. This is being prepared because no matter what you have had to leave behind, no matter what army is coming after you, no matter what you're facing, be prepared for joy. As I said earlier, we've been through a stewardship appeal process where we've been asked to be a bit like Esther, to think about how our own self-control can prepare us for generosity, to reflect like Ruth, to be patient with ourselves and the process of generosity. Because sometimes generosity needs time and space to breathe. To take the story of Zacchaeus seriously, to understand our generosity can actually bring peace to those who are seeking. To understand, like Tabitha, that our kindness leads to generosity that bridges all kinds of gaps in our community. To be challenged to love like Philemon, our generosity leading to freedom. And so here we are with joy, the spirit life of joy. And there is a reason for joy. As we step into uh, the kind of the final process of our stewardship appeal, Keenan Mick, who's the director of our finance uh, uh, here, uh, he's been giving me numbers. I, I just see him in his office. He's typing away on spreadsheets. And I'm like, when you're done, let me know. Spreadsheets and I, we're not, we're not friendly. I mean, we're friendly, but, you know, let's let somebody else do that. And he shared this with me for, to share with you. And you're going to hear a lot more as the stewardship appeal uh, wraps up. What Keenan told me is a reason for joy, a reason for joy. It actually brought tears in his eyes. He compared those who have made statements of intent last year to those who have made statements of intent this year so far, and their generosity on average grew by 29%. 29%. And there's a reason for joy. And we're not done yet. You and I are invited to join this journey of generosity. And we expect that over the next weeks, more and more and more of us will engage. More and more and more of us will see a reason to prepare for joy. So there is a reason for joy. So I invite all of us as we kind of think through our life together, pack your tambourine. Pack your tambourine. Plan for joy. No matter the weather, no matter the swirling wind and freezing temps, no matter how quickly you pack, no matter what army of doubt may be sent after us, plan for joy. Where is your tambourine?